Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial subscription, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show the movie review podcast for filmstage.com as always i'm your host brian j rowan and uh i'm opening today with a song that is not technically about the movie though i guess it works this uh, song is actually about the situation in terms of hosts and guests on this episode because <laughs> uh you know you may think that you you need bill graham and and another guest you know you think that you need four people to talk but i'm telling you it just takes two and that second person today is Robin Barr. I definitely thought this was a reference to the the twosome in Benedetta. Right, and I was like, all right, yeah, I guess it could work as like talking about Benedetta and Bartolomea, but uh, nope, it was like, yeah, this is going to just be with us. This is all about you I'm and excited. Me. Yeah. There's no buffer. It's all war. Exactly. That's right. We aren't going to... There's like no outlet for us now. Like we can't throw to Bill for his like calm, reasoned, slightly detached opinion. <laughs> we can't throw to a guest who might actually have some sense of decorum. It's just me and you. It just takes two. Um, and we are here today to talk about the in no way uh, controversial or crazy making movie that is Benedetta, uh, the newest film from Paul Verhoeven. So uh, that just means it's going to be even better. So much that could happen right now, and I am deeply excited for it. Before we get into that, though, um, the usual stuff. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at FilmStateShow, Facebook, The FilmStateShow, emails, podcast, FilmStage.com. Of course, give us a comment on iTunes. And you become part of our Patreon by going to patreon.com slash show, and that'll give you access to our Slack channel, as well as first crack at uh, movie-related raffles that the FilmStage throws. So that's pretty cool. And don't forget that we are also, of course, brought to you by Mubi, curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a brand new film. Whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, it's guaranteed to either be a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before, and there will always be something new to discover. Best part is that Mubi hand selects every single film so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch instead you'll actually be watching something great it's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime anywhere and uh, i'm gonna plug it again because it's actually on there now it's voyage of time the newest or i guess it's not the newest film by terrence malick but the uh the the very limitedly released documentary <laughs> from terrence malick that is literally about the entire expanse of the human and universal history. It's just an all-encompassing, like, hey, isn't it that weird? That just sounds like every Terrence Malick movie. I know, but it's like he, or like... Werner Herzog. Cut off the, the like, <laughs> the vestigial narrative structure. And it's just like, look, I've always been really interested with, like, the concept of existing. <laughs> what I if don't we need a vessel for these concepts right you know who needs a protagonist or like you know a subject beyond just the innumerable questions of existence um 
though it is uh, narrated by Brad Pitt, so it's got that going for it. So if you would like to uh, check that out and just learn about the history of all things and every atom of the universe, you can go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage for a whole month of great cinema for free. And that's that. Brad Um, Pitt's name is not Bradford Pitt. Is it Bradley? It's William Bradley Pitt. Oh, so he should be Bill Pitt. Bill Pitt. (laughs) (laughs) If his name was Bill Pitt, he would look very, very different right Right, now. Yeah, people look like if even if it was just him, right? You know, you say like, oh, this is my friend Bill Pitt. And you look at him and he just becomes less handsome. Mm-hmm. Because his name is Bill Pitt. Yeah. More sprouts uh, on the chin. <laughs> I was about to say, uh, not, not so, you know, nothing against the name Bill. We're not suddenly dropping Bill related hot takes just because we're anti Bill because we were abandoned. Because <laughs> he has like, what, a family or something? I can't even remember. Why remember. He's not <laughs> yeah, no. I've, I've, I've totally checked out. I show up here and I'm like, we're talking about what? <laughs> But anyway, hey, at least uh, you watched the movie. I did. I did. I uh, at at ten thirty last night. I was like, oh shit! I have to watch Benedetta. And luckily, my screener still worked, um, so I got to watch it. I will say, I gotta just say up front, you know, if you watch, and I'm, I know that I'm, I'm very fortunate to be able to watch stuff like this at home. And um, I think that this, in addition to playing in theaters, will eventually, very soon, be going on VOD. But I did watch a screener that was sent to me. Um, but, uh, it was, it, it was shitty quality. It was very bad quality. Mm. And, um, so it was like, it took me a while to like become blind to like the weird sort of like lagging, skipping aspect of it. So I feel bad about that. You had to that's, adjust. That's what the fucking uh, company gave me. And so if they think that that's good enough for reviews and awards consideration, it's good enough for me to come on the podcast and talk about it. So, yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about Benedetta. Um, I'm going to read from IMDb's summary of this. Uh, Some of you may already know this as the lesbian nun movie. I'm here to tell you it's a 17th century nun in Italy. Suffers from disturbing religious and erotic visions. She is assisted by a companion. And the relationship between the two women develops into a romantic love affair. (laughs) Which I don't think that's particularly true but i guess no we'll i totally disagree with that. To talk about it can't wait gonna be awesome anyway before <laughs> we talk about it here is the trailer which is in another language so i'm probably not going to play that much of it benedetta viens à moi j'arrive seigneur j'arrive on ne comprend pas toujours les instruments de Dieu. All right, so that is the trailer for Benedetta, which, as I said, is out in theaters now and very soon will be on VOD, so you can check it out. Um, let's, uh, let's get into it. Uh, Robin Barr. <laughs> Bill Graham, what did you think? I was about to say, our guest for today is not here. Uh, Robin Barr, what did you think of Benedetta? What are your thoughts? What were you expecting walking into this, by the way? I was expecting none showgirls. I was looking forward to it. Show Because I was like, 
Yeah, show nuns. Exactly. We had just, my husband and I had just seen Black Narcissus. Narcissus? I think it's Narcissus. Narcissus. And that uh, is a totally horny nun movie from like the 40s. It's, it's excellent. Really, really excellent. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I'm down for more of this. Um, but even the movie from 1947 seemed to be more sexually voracious than the Paul Verhoeven version of this movie from 2021. I mean, obviously they're very different stories. I was expecting crazier. I was expecting campier. And, you know, there were some sort of, I don't want to say like boundary pushing imagery or boundary pushing plots that we'll get into, but I just kind of found it a little limp in terms of what I was expecting. Um, and the reason I thought you would like it, Brian, is because the movie is actually much more intellectually curious than I was anticipating. So it it is a biography of Benedetta Carlini, um, who, you know, some think she was a a religious icon, a, you know, a voice of God. And some people think she was a total con artist. And the movie, the movie does get into this idea of persuasiveness versus manipulation. So I thought that was, you know, an interesting through line, but it gets so deeply in the weeds of uh, just like ecclesiastical questions that mm-hmm. I wasn't that interested in it, but that's because I'm not, somebody who's very moved by religious stories to begin with. Right. You're the person about, who watched yeah. the tree of life and thought aliens instead of exactly, God, even though it literally <laughs> exactly. opened with a biblical quote. Well, I was going through a phase at the time. The but phase, thinking, like, this like, was like six months ago. <laughs> Listen, it's pandemic, man. <laughs> but through a lot of phases. Ultimately, I just kept thinking Brian would like this because it is so deeply interested in the question of whether Benedetta was a liar or a, you know, a representative of God on earth. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious if, if that ended up bringing true for you, I, I, I just thought this would be a wacky, totally, um, you know, like genre bending, shocking movie. And aside from one or two things where I was like, okay, like we get it, you know, you're like a visionary or whatever of, I don't even know, like perversion. It just didn't do that much for me. So I um, I wasn't sure how to like respond to this movie just in the run up to it because we were talking before we started rolling. And I'm sure anyone who knows about this movie knows that like the first poster that came out was like the just like the lower half of her face to about her midsection in like a pure white nun's habit veil type of thing and one of her, one of her one of her tits out i just kept trying to think of like the kind way to say that um a single a partially, memory yeah right a single partially exposed breast um with the nipple and areola visible like a through chicken. the veil yeah um and so i really was like Oh, okay. Like, or is this just like, is is it going to be none showgirls? You know, is it? But like, or but with like a little more intense like homoeroticism. Um, 
or I guess not intense because fucking showgirls is some really intense homoeroticism. We're like, mm-hmm. like, is is there just are they finally gonna have them fuck right? Um, and uh, I was like kind of ambivalent about that because like I don't particularly I'm not one of these Catholics who's like gonna go and protest a movie just because the Catholic Church is like shown in it and there's like oh your clergy have sex and bad things happen like that's not me but i just was kind of bored at the idea and then when i started hearing people say like it's weirdly like really all about these questions regarding like religious mysticism and like Mm -hmm. (laughs) ecstatic visions like i think if it had been a movie about like here's a woman who doesn't believe in god who's in a convent and she's just gonna seduce like another nun and like show give lie to like the whole christian thing I would be a little bit like, oh, wow, you're so edgy. I find it a lot more interesting that she in this movie appears to have a very like earnest religious faith. And my favorite part of the movie was all of the times that she has an ecstatic mystical vision wherein Jesus like comes up like a swashbuckling romantic mm-hmm. partner. There's a there's this like the scene that really got me on this movie's side was when she like envisions like asps coming at her and she yeah. can't get them away and one of them's right about to bite her in the face after crawling up her body and suddenly a sword slices through the asp and who should be wielding the sword but Jesus Christ himself <laughs> there to vanquish the evil and then say to her like come on baby let's ride and the movie definitely had a sense of humor yeah before. and like I love that like and i think um one of the most interesting things about the movie is its own ambivalence about benedetta's earnestness yeah um but i think i kind of prefer when it was really leaning into like here we have a woman who is truly like a a modern marvel of you know christian like mysticism and everything and i i think i almost wish that it had just fully come down on her side um, because I think that that's a little more interesting thematically. If you, if you come from at this movie from like, this person was legit, had stigmata, was indeed talking specifically with Jesus and people just couldn't hang with her. And so they found out that she was having a lesbian love affair and used that as leverage to destroy her. Like, I think that is a Christ parallel that I could really get behind. I think that the ambivalence, while it, it, it could be interesting and it sort of reads as the more interesting becomes a little bit of a, a loss leader for this movie. And so I, it, it kind of tapers out. I, I do like the insane places it goes. I think mm-hmm. that it, it, it switches tones a lot, which is not shocking considering it's Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. But I was, I was pretty on its side. I, I kind of liked everything it was doing but i do think that the that there is a kind of almost like salacious driving force that wanted to make more of her lesbianism than was necessary to tell the story that it was trying to tell and so and i actually like the thing is when you say like her lesbianism it's even it's even hard for me to say that because i couldn't really tell if she was into it or if she was just amassing power so yeah that's another thing is that like i the the 
I read a little bit about like the story of actual Benedetta, you know, but yeah. like nothing crazy. I think I read like a New York Times article about the original book, Immodest Acts, uh, by Judith C. Brown when it was originally released. And it it really made it seem like um <laughs> Benedetta was like sort of an egomaniac. <laughs> right, like, right. That's what I got from the movie. Yeah. And I I think that like to what you're saying, like it does feel like in the book, maybe her her trysts with this other nun might have come off as more of like just a power grab. Like it's it's weird to say, but it's like almost like she can't help but keep trying to see how much she can get away with. Yes, that that's kind of how I read it because in well, maybe we should sort of talk about what the plot of this movie is. So mm-hmm. I will need your help. Oh <laughs> yeah, totally. This. Love it. But Benedetta was this woman in what the 16th century Italy or I believe that um, is correct yes and she's a sort of like middle class upper middle class woman well so I'm reading now it's the 17th century which would be the 1600s right I have that right okay I definitely in my mind it was a hundred years before that but um but yeah so 1600s her family is you know on the wealthiest side um and they, like many wealthy young girls, she's uh, sacrificed to the con- the convent. And I think the idea was that she was so sick as a child or maybe even as a baby that her parents were like, if you let our daughter live, we will we will have her and you know be in service to you. So Benedetta, instead of being married off, is brought to the convent. And there's this really interesting scene at the beginning where I think they witnessed, what was it, a robbery? Yeah, so they're, like, set upon by highwaymen. Okay, they're, like, I watched this a few weeks ago, or actually a Mm -hmm. few months ago at this point. Um, So they're they're about to be, what was, what's the term, like, um, there's a B term for this. They're bandits. (laughs) (laughs) These bandits come and are, like, robbing them. And she sort of uses these mystical powers of manipulation Mm-hmm. slash i don't know like maybe manipulation is too harsh a word but she has this seeming power over people like today you would just say she's a great politician right right um and they what was it they let her keep something so so what happens is uh, uh like i said a bunch of highwaymen show up um honestly i don't i don't know who these guys are i think one of them is called captain and i don't know if that's just like you know a gang of thieves doing gang of thieves speaker right. actually meant to be like local military guys who just suck a lot. Um, but they take her mother's necklace and this little nine-year-old girl is like, Hey, that belongs to my mom. And they're like, wow, your daughter has more balls than you do, dude. And then she like praised that the virgin mother will like smite these men and they kind of get a kick out of it. But then a bird starts singing and she's like, that's it. That's the virgin mother. She's coming to do my bidding. And then this bird shits in one of these dudes eyes and everyone laughs. And then they give the necklace back and they're like, you're all right, kid. And then yeah. leave. <laughs> I just thought that was such an interesting way to start the movie because mm-hmm. it it shows that this kid, whether she believes in herself or not. Like, and that's kind of never clear is whether she actually believes these visions that she has or if they're um, 
or if she's making them up or if she's giving herself stigmata. Like, I think the movie comes down on the side that she is, she is a manipulator, but I kind of was never sure what the, what the real, uh, I don't know, like what her own self thoughts were. Mm. And that, that was interesting. So like, whether the, whether the screenwriter or director, uh, Verhoeven believes in Benedetta or not is not really the issue, but it's like what, what she believes in, like, is she so deluded that she, I I knew I shouldn't even use the word deluded. That's very harsh, but like, is she so wrapped up in her own power or thoughts of what she can do that she actually believes that she is creating these mystical things to happen? Or is she just very good at cold reading people and making them do what she wants? Cause I don't know what a few weeks ago we were talking about psychics, right? Was it I, maybe not in the house of Gucci episode? Cause you weren't in that one, but I think there was, <laughs> there was another episode where I think we were talking about like the power of psychics and you know, what, what are they actually doing? And I kind of think that what she does is more of that cold reading. Like mm-hmm. she, she is, um, trying to think of the word here like she's intuiting like she's, she yes she's intuiting how people are perceiving her yeah. so i find that very interesting so i thought that was a really good place to start the film um i mean it, it definitely, and then she goes to this yeah well yeah i think that like things like that like showing that like this this kid at least appears to have like a great deal of faith and belief is a, is a good place to start because like it just it drives home both how important religion is and how like earnest this person actually might be i actually the 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 thing that i took the that i had the most issue with in the movie i guess is like she has these ecstatic visions that seem to compel her to move involuntarily but it's and then but when we jump to things like stigmata there's suddenly a conception of like is she faking Right. That. And I don't think that the movie delves deep enough into her psychology or her her motives to let us know why one of these things would be true and real and then the other would not be. Like is she Right. is she of the opinion that she needs more than than he, she's being given by God to like convince the people around her or is she like uh like someone who's like should be middle management, but has somehow faked their way into like a VP position, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. Jesus is trying to be like, you're great where you're at. And she's like, oh man, but if I just like stab my hands, I could be even better. And I don't, I don't know that we really see much about what could be driving her. If it's not an earnest thing, if she doesn't believe that she's actually supposed to be there, but to that level, I don't, I think then that it it's harder to square her being deceptive about that because if she does earnestly believe it then she, she she shouldn't be faking it it's just um it's very odd and i i again i find the ambivalence to be laudable to a degree but i think that you need to spend a little more time on it then to really make it make sense well i mean i think you bring up a, a good point which is that the film is even though everything is basically from Benedetta's perspective in this movie and we spend the most time with her, I kind of feel like we know her way less than the other characters. Like she's a very 
guarded and unknowable protagonist. Um, even when you're watching her do things privately, I just could not, I couldn't really get into her head. So I did, I found her mysterious um, in a way that like Bartolome isn't in a way that um, Charlotte Rampling's character isn't even some of the, even some of like the magistrates in their town, like they seemed like very clear, had motivation, had feelings. And I don't know what Benedetta's feelings were really. Yeah. And I, and I, there was a part of me that was kind of expecting when I was reading up about this, I found out that like the reason we even know who Benedetta is, because I feel like we said this, but just in case we didn't, this is all based on a true story. Um, Yes. You know, they found court records about her. And she's like one of the only non-aristocratic women to have anything like recorded about her life. And so this whole situation gives a great insight into like, you know, the nunneries of the time and the lives of of non-aristocratic women. And so I was sort of expecting it to play more with the the concept of the unknowingness. And, you know, I don't want to, like, have a full-on Rochamon or, you know, I didn't see it, but, like, The Last Duel is apparently all about, like, mm-hmm. you know, this concept of he said, she said, and there's an uncertainty and what are the varying levels of truth and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, I, I don't know that that would have been the best way to do it, but I do think that it's better than trying to seemingly ground the movie in her perspective in that way and still maintain an uncertainty about what's happening around her like i think that and it's what it sucks because it is one of the things that makes the movie so interesting and the story so interesting but only as a like theoretical academic exercise and not quite so much as like a narrative story is like the is she delusional is she earnest or is she a con artist you know, it's it's kind of that the uh, what is it the C.S. Lewis thing about the line the witch in the wardrobe that Christians are always talking about. It's like they're either crazy or lying or they're telling the truth, mm-hmm. and you have to look at it that way. And in this, I think that like she's at least halfway telling the truth. Like she's, but it's 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 weird that we don't get to see more of it. And you could almost say like, oh well, they're they're trying to use her relationship with Bartolomea. Am I have that right? Am I saying that right? Yeah, probably to uh, to like expound upon it. But I don't know that they ever do a good enough job of tying her her relationship with Bartolomea to her ascension to the abbess of this convent. It, it doesn't they don't really mesh. Yeah, it's kind of strange. And like unless so what I found very interesting about that relationship is that Bar- Bartolomea Bartolomea, Bartolomea Bart. <laughs> is the one pursuing her. See, I yes. I had always been under the impression, I guess before I saw this movie, that Benedetta, because of her, you know, power, power hungriness or wanting to make a difference-ness mm-hmm. would be the one to uh, be seeking out this relationship. But instead, it's this young waif who who she rescues. So Benedetta essentially rescues this character. This woman, you know, is a, like a young uh, peasant woman who runs into the convent courtyard because her father is chasing her. And, you know, I think he sexually abused her and she's just trying to get away from him. And eventually um, 
Benedetta, who's witnessing this, she like who's and she's with her parents who are visiting, and she's an adult. She convinces her parents to uh, pay for this young woman's stay at the convent to basically save her from her father, so that the father doesn't continue to beat her or rape her or whatever. So then suddenly Benedetta has this little puppy following her around, this little like duck that's imprinted on her. And eventually Bartolomea seduces Benedetta and Benedetta, you know, she's already like, she's already like uh, affirmed or like infirmed with all of these visions. And then suddenly this like young, annoying chick is around sort of being (laughs) like, let's do sex to each other. (laughs) She's like, I'm busy having visions. Yeah, but I think- I'm sorry. I'm really busy talking to my boyfriend, Jesus Christ. If you could stop poking me in the ass during Vespers. Seriously, it was just like confusing. So then at some point, Benedetta like gets sucked in. I, I don't even remember at what point she's like, okay, fine, Bar- Bartolomea. But then once once they're, you know, in this sexual relationship, she's like- going through the motions of it like I, at no point where i was ever like she's not in love with this person she's like maybe interested in the sexual pleasure of it but you never get the sense that she's truly having you no, know it's intimacy with another person the, um, the 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 vibe between them is like a pet and master mm-hmm. um but i don't think that the movie's playing in that pool enough which is a really weird awkward way of putting it i I feel like i feel like um uh, bartolomea who is played by daphne patakia um she is playing this as like i've had a really shitty life (laughs) and i um like i i'd really like to chill out and just be here and now i'm so happy you and your family rescued me and now i'm like erotically infatuated with and perhaps indebted to you and like you said, Benedetta, meanwhile, is just like, I got some shit going on with Jesus, like, hang out. <laughs> but like, and it seems like when she gets to be the abbess of this convent, that's when she's like, all right, we can do whatever the hell we want now. Like, this is great. Like, this is awesome. And it is. It's like once she has that power, she's like, sure, I'll try it out. Yeah. And then and then, you know, Bartolome is like all all in on it. She is all about it. Another thing that I read uh, that's not in the movie, um, and I, I'm gonna—I'm not gonna hold too much against the movie, of, like for not involving certain aspects of the real story. But um, she apparently claimed that all the time she was having sex with this woman, she had was like being inhabited by an angel. Um, which is or not a, something we get or in the a movie. demon. Yeah. And then also, uh, honestly, I, I will say that coming into this movie with a, a very small amount of knowledge of ben, about the life of Benedetta, I was super pissed off that we didn't get to see her marriage to Jesus ceremony because it sounds like it was off the goddamn chain. Did you read up on that? I read like the whole thing about her, but it was honestly so wackadoodle that i don't remember all the details so she like was like hey uh i'm in charge now and i need to get married to jesus christ and everyone was like cool 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 sure and she said (laughs) so this is how it's gonna be this is how exactly how my wedding's gonna be 
And um, I'm going to be both of us because he will inhabit me and talk to us. And everyone was just like, all right, yeah, I guess that's what's happening. And so she did. And that's how it happened is they just uh, she stood up at the top of the, the church and was like, all right, this is me getting married to Jesus. Hey, everyone, it's me, Jesus. And um, you guys should know that Benedict is really freaking cool and you need to do everything she says or you're all going to fall out of my favor. And um, it's it's honestly shit like that that started to turn people against her, as you can imagine. And I kind of think that it would be a little more interesting if that's the the way that the movie like went. Like, because she was pretty... She was pretty popular. People really liked her. They liked the idea of like, oh shit, we've got a like a mystic. We've got like a person who's having ecstatic visions. Like this is really going to be really good for us. Like, and you get a little bit of that in the movie. Like clearly some people are like, I feel like she's lying. And everyone else is like, yeah, 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 yeah. But you know. That's what was confusing awesome. to me. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like maybe I just have. Maybe I have, maybe I think of religious people as like very, like, you know, it's black or white and there's not a lot of room for gray, but I was very surprised in the movie, both in movie and the real life that so many people doubted her only because isn't it sort of like not hypocritical, but heretical if you don't believe in miraculous things happening it's like uh, you know and i honestly that's kind of one of the things that at this time the church was kind of dealing with is that they were sort of like you know the the crazy mystics are all really cool and everything but maybe we need to like distance ourselves from that you know not be quite so like into the screaming and the voices and the tongues and maybe we should like it just seems sort of like what you're like what I hear from those from those characters is it was all normal as long as it happened 2000 years ago. But right. anything miraculous that happens now is utterly wild and dangerous. <laughs> right. Well, it's difficult to, you know, square that at any point. I, I constantly, you know, I think everyone who who is Christian probably at some point thinks like, what would happen if Jesus came back? How quickly would like people put him on like lithium like what like oh i thought you were gonna say like jimmy fallon <laughs> i mean that might happen later once he like gets out of his house and like is able to you know end his medications but like yeah if 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 you had a kid who was like what up um you know i'm hey i was like i i was at the church and like everyone couldn't find me but why wouldn't you come and look for me here i was in my father's house people would be like oh shit jimmy's jimmy's having like religiously hysterical hallucinations again you know, like he'd say something about like, you know, rendering unto Caesar and his parents would like accuse him of being a communist. You know, like there's just you have those questions of like, would we believe it or accept it if it did happen again? And um, I think that honestly, the answer is no. And I think that that's another interesting thing that this movie sort of moves towards. But it's almost like this story the story can be a stand-in for so many different things, but in order to make mm-hmm. a compelling and st- like streamline and affecting narrative, you need to pick one and you need to stick with it. And you can't like, cause you look at a story like this and you're like, Oh man, it's about, it's about women. It's about the patriarchy. <laughs> it's about, uh, you know, heteronormativity. 
Uh, it's about like, you know, religion and God and specifically Catholicism and the patriarchy in Catholicism and, you know, the, the, the distinguishing between like, what is a con and what is truth and like, how deep are you? And like, it's like, okay, yeah, that's great. But like, can we pick like two of those? And boobs. It's also about boobs, which is like the predominant motif of this movie. Yes, there is uh, there is a lot of boobage. Um, is is now a proper time for an orb report? I don't know when it usually happens. I mean, the only there are two prominent breast related scenes that I remember. One is deeply strange, which is at some point. Uh, when baby Benedetta, who's like nine years old, goes to the convent. Yeah. Uh, she's praying to the Virgin Mary. And then the Virgin Mary statue topples on on her so that it's almost like she's, you know, in coitus with this <laughs> statue. Yeah. And she licks the naked wooden breast of this statue. So I thought that's a choice um, to put a child in. And then later, there's this uh, sex scene, which is not even really a sex scene. It's really more of a like a sexual assault, I would say, where Benedetta, who's the abbess, is telling her lover, like, you know, undress yourself so I can get myself off. And she's just like, let me see your breasts or whatever. Well, Benedetta is like masturbating. Oh, yeah, because that's at the point where even Bartolome <laughs> is like. I think you've gone too far. And yeah, like, it's, it's, it's like up. a power thing. <laughs> Shut it's up. I'm going to sit sexual. on this desk and I'm going to jerk it. <laughs> and you're yes. going to show your tits to me. <laughs> and Bartolome is like, oh, God, fine. And I was like, oh, wow, that's great. It's an abusive relationship now. There was it always, yeah. you know, it's that other question of like, well, if she's in a position of power over this woman. I still don't believe that she's sec. I mean, well, I don't know. Am I am I being... Dis- am I being super heteronormative by saying that I don't actually believe that she's well? When you say this, so, like, let me ask turn you, on by this. It, yeah. Do you think that that's a problem with the performance, or do you think she's playing it as written? Hmm. I like, I think it's a direction thing. If anything, like, I okay, think. Yeah. Well, part of it is maybe I don't believe this because a man wrote and directed this movie. That it's is kind possible. of like the blue is warm. The blue is the warmest color problem, which is it does not feel authentically sapphic. So a lot of the sex scenes that movie just come across as like a male fantasy of, you know, or a a pornish male fantasy of lesbian sexuality. Yeah. So at no point did it feel authentic in that way. So maybe, maybe it's really not, I'm really not saying like, Oh, I don't believe this person's like a lesbian or whatever. It's just, I, I can't tell if it's because a male boomer is the one that's driving this, this scene or if it's because this character is written to be somebody who is much more interested in power than connecting with other people. Is Paul Verhoeven a boomer or is he like even before? Oh, boomer? that's good. Good point. Um, that's I don't know. I like I don't know what the oldest boomer is. I'm going to Google it. The oldest boomer would be f- 45. Oh, really? No, that can't mm-hmm. be right. They'd be born in the... Baby boomers were born... No, 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 40... born in 1945. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying they'd be 45 years of age, and I was like, that. No, you're right. He's, right. Uh, he's the... Is it the silent generation? 
possibly. Yeah, he was born in 38. Oh, yeah. I so he's this, not a boomer. Yeah, he's not a boomer. So sorry. I so, sorry, boomers. <laughs> I you cannot okay boomer you. <laughs> Paul It was just okay. You have this elderly man who yeah, is who is 83 years old directing this love scene between two women where it's not even subtextually homoerotic. It is very textually homoerotic. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't feel the eroticism between those characters, but I think that's also part of it is like Benedetta, I think is the most horny for the Jesus inside her head. Oh, 100%. And so that's, so what I, and I'm not sure if, uh, this is so hard to talk about because I can't I can't say like if I'm taking something from the movie the movie's giving it to me and I'm not going to say it was on accident but like the movie is clearly conflating or attempting to conflate Bartolomea with Jesus in certain aspects because like when Jesus first comes to Benedetta and is like hey come over here let's get married and she's like yeah let's do it he's with a bunch of sheep and when she first meets Bartolomea, Bartolomea is among a bunch of sheep and runs into the convents like, help me. Oh, my God. And so I feel like the movie wants to draw that parallel of like, does Benedetta perhaps read into the circumstances of Bartolomea entering her life that this woman is a earthly counterpart to Jesus through which she can channel her feelings and affections in which case, like, does that mean she's not a lesbian, but she is, in fact, just again, like, ecstatically, you know, drawn to this, you know, conception of Christ that is now poured through this woman that's in her life? Or, you know, does it matter? Is there a difference? I think it's hard to even label something as, you know, lesbian versus not lesbian, just because. Why did. I mean, I don't even know if that concept really existed at that time in that particular culture. I don't and have any idea. <laughs> my, my knowledge of the 17th century Italy is not deep. Well, yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. I, I'm, I just don't want to be obsessed with this idea of like presentism where we're taking the concepts of what we know about sexuality and Right. Or what we think we know about sexuality and putting but it on this particular I, character. Because but Benedetta, for all we know, it's never like I think Kenny are alluding to this, has never really had access to men in her life. So we don't even know what her sexuality even, would be. Right. She also doesn't seem to want any kind of right. anything from anyone, um, except for Jesus. And but like what's funny is it, she has these romantic ideals of Jesus coming to her and rescuing her and calling but then when she strips him at some point he's got no he's got no penis um and he's a barbie doll yeah and and so i don't uh i don't know like what is that what is that telling us like what does that mean that she doesn't know anything about the male form (laughs) that's possible i don't know i feel like back then like there was like you know the 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 fucking there are no doors like there's (laughs) everyone's probably seen something somewhere but um, but she lived in a convent convent since she was nine years old. Yeah, but she might have seen a penis before then. True. I mean, I don't know. She also might I have think... just like looked out the doors of the convent. I mean, like that. You know, Pescia is not. I don't know what the rules there are, but I feel like you could like be walking down the street in Pescia, see someone naked, and just be like, "It's a Tuesday." 
you know? I think we have these like very limited ideas of what bodies and sexuality and whatever looked like in Europe before, say, like the Victorian era. Like we have almost like very Victorian ideas about love and sex and human relationships. Yeah. About you know, life before the 19th century. So it's, I think you're quite, it's quite possible that what you're saying is correct, which is that maybe because it's, because the idea of privacy was so different, maybe people were actually just sort of like living their lives around each other. And maybe that can explain why she sort of erased the genitalia from her, <laughs> from these visions. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting concept. And yet what becomes the most phallic, object of them all in this movie is is what brian like do you want to talk about <laughs> the dildo i so what's funny and i was the, one of the things that i thought about regarding this movie is like again i'm never going to be one of those catholics who protests anything it just it doesn't doesn't work first of all it's like incredibly stupid and I find that the most edifying movies that I've watched regarding my own religion are the ones that challenge it. Um, so it's funny for me that when you you walk in on uh, Bartolomea whittling a dildo out of uh, the statue of the Virgin Mary, I, I had like no reaction except to say like, oh man, her fucking mom gave her that. I know, <laughs> like, I know. That was the part that like to me... Benedetta should be like, that was a gift from my mom, you piece of shit. Like, don't make <laughs> that a was dildo. Only air. Don't make my it. Like, that's like if, if I was in a homosexual relationship and someone made a pocket pussy out of my teddy bear. Like, I don't want that. <laughs> well, a lot of men do that. I don't, please, you know, I don't need to know that. Um, but Did like, you not you know, know that that's like a thing? No. Is it? Yes. A lot of, a lot of boys and men have sexual relations with their teddy bears as okay. i learned in high school why what i've so what's funny is in all of the movies or tv shows that have expressed anything about um like i don't know let's say like adolescents and teenagers masturbating with a stuffed animal they've always been women I know. Big mouth I find that and bizarre. Book smart, particularly yep. run to my the top of my head as like those are hey, the first two things I thought of. Yeah, like you know, you know the girls like hump their their teddy bears and stuff, and I'm like, do they? Like that seems weird. Like is that like is that useful? <laughs> I guess that works if it's something we're all talking about. I suppose. I mean, that's I've never encountered that, but the other the 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 male version I have definitely encountered. Um, when you say encountered, <laughs> I have friends who okay. engaged and told me about it uh, at that uh, time. All right. Can, can we get one of them on the podcast right now? <laughs> I don't think so. But I also think that there is a difference between you deciding. It's to like do when that you too. walk into your friend's bedroom and they're like, don't touch that. And I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> so wait, was, why? This, was, this was contemporaneous. <laughs> you were like 13 year old Robin walking into a guy's room and he was like, don't touch the turtle. Don't touch the teddy bear. But yeah, 15. Why? Why? What do you, you know what? I don't want to I, like, there's a part of it that really needs to know, like, how is that better than just using your hand? But then there's another part of me that like, I don't ever want to know the answer to that. I don't understand it. And, and like, when you destroy your childhood teddy bear 
to penetrate it. Like, was it like their childhood one or did they like buy a new one to do it? Someone stole his sisters. Oh, that's. And another one, another, a second person used their own. Did any of them ever use a peach? (laughs) Uh, How about an apple pie? I, See, I don't understand the physical mechanics of it because I get that it's a receptacle. There's no resistance, though. It's like, I mean, whatever the filling is, that doesn't sound very appealing to me. Right. Like, it, well, I don't know, because we cut. Well, I was about to say in Power of the Dog, he definitely like, you know, uh, uh, veil dances with uh, Bronco Henry's like napkin or whatever. But he doesn't like wrap it around his cock and jerk off. No, right? that's like that was like a, a romantic caress that was yes. a reverie. But that was not. Uh... So I had a. Fr- this is I, you know not to get into the <laughs> masturbation habits of men, but I had a friend once who said I was in a long distance relationship, and every time my boyfriend would come over, he would steal a bunch of my panties so he could take them and jerk off with them when he went home. And I was like, how? Like, like he, like does he? just wrap them around himself and then do it? Or like, is he wearing that? Like, what is the, what is the process? And she said, I don't want to know. I just am happy that she's using mine and he's not going out and getting someone else's. And I'm like, that is, you got to find a better man. <laughs> like That's a pretty low bar. <laughs> I just don't understand. Like, he's like, you know, what's going to make this uh, self-administered orgasm even better is if I am in any way in contact with my, you know, long distance girlfriends. Maybe it's the, <laughs> You end on the fabric. So like, the, but that would be like, he wants to masturbate onto them, not with them, right? Like, I feel like the concept of mm-hmm. with means that you are actively, God, I hope my daughter's asleep. This sounds very rough. I, yeah, right. Because it's either, like, if it's, it feels like it'd be rough. And if it's not, if she's like, oh, no, I have like really great like modal cotton or like, you know, <laughs> lace and silk. I'm like, so he's stealing your like $40 panties and... Does he send them back to you? Like, does he bring them back you know, dry clean? Don't, don't like. I hate this term so much, but don't yuck somebody's yum. I'm There's got to be a better the, way. The of funny saying part that. was that it's it gross. seemed as though she was not yumming about her boyfriend's yum. <laughs> she was just sort of like tolerant of it. She's like, "Well, that's what happens," and I was like, "Okay, um, is it? That's fine. Um, <laughs> if you really need it to be." But anyway, so like, yeah, it's but interesting. Not to be too, yeah. <laughs> Great that we had that digression. This is, I feel like Bill would have uh, Hamilton'd us like five minutes ago. Yeah, sorry, Bill. Um, yep. But I think this anyway. actually, I mean, it's an interesting. I Why think do we talk film, about cum so much this year? I don't know, because men direct a lot of movies and they think about it all the time. I, I, I do think it goes back to this whole thing of like, I wouldn't want somebody to steal my most prized possession to turn it into a sex toy. Right. And that was that like that's kind of what I was saying. Like actually not kind of. That is exactly what I was saying. I'm looking at this <laughs> and I'm like 40 years ago maybe you know it would be scandalous and like people would go, "Oh my word, like sacrilege." You know, carving a phallus of the Virgin Mary and using it as a thing for a nun. But there's a part of me that's like that's so fucking extra. In this movie that's already eroticizing, you know, nunhood so much. And, uh, uh, like, you know, I just am so hung up on the fact that, like, this woman 
brought this uh, Virgin Mary and like wasn't allowed to keep it. And she's like, my mom gave it to me. And then her, her, you know, lover companion woman is just like, what up? <laughs> Whittled your mom's gift to you into a dildo. Let's get to it. Um, it's a, it's a little, it's a little crazy. I, um, and you know, I, also you, you hit it in a ledger or was it a Bible? You, whatever. The one book in the entire room that is on a pedestal. <laughs> and that's that people what you chose would be leafing through. In. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, none of it makes sense also because splinters, I mean, well, they, they, they actually, I would say that like, you know, they make a big deal about how she's like, Runs her hand over. It's like, it's a little rough there. And Bartolome, again, kind of in like that pet puppy, like eager to please way. He's like, oh, right. Yeah, I'll take care of that. And then like goes and like whittles some more and then comes over and like licks it to prove that you're not going to get a splinter. And then is like, all right, I'm going to j- push it in you. <laughs> it's just such a this is what I mean when I say that, like, this is such a a, a movie that is very detached from female sexuality. Because mm-hmm. something like that is like what Verhoeven made his career on, right? Yeah. Like being a provocateur. But in no way does this represent like what really happens between women, from what I understand. Like, I don't know. I have a male partner, but like it just didn't ring true to me. <laughs> it just feels like here, we're going to do the shocking thing so people will write about us. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And like, there's a part of me that's, I, I always wonder in a situation like this, or is it like, do we have to like increase the reality, you know, make it a little louder so that when like other people in the movie are like, my word, women laying with one another, we can like kind of see what they're talking about. But like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Like, I just, it's, it's very odd to me the way that we choose what to show in terms of sex in movies to bring back a blue is the warmest color. My complaint about that movie was that there's a point where spoilers for blue is the warmest color. I guess there's a point where one of the women cheats on her partner with a man mm-hmm. and we don't see them fucking. And so I was like, look, if you're going to show me like 40 minutes of these two having sex, I know you need to show me her sleeping with that man because I need to understand if her doing that, like if she enjoyed it, like if if there's something there, like, you know, if you're showing me them sleeping together, the, the two females, and there's like this crazy, wild, acrobatic ecstasy, like, is the sex that she's having with a man meeting that level of lust or is it giving her something else? And that's like a moment where the performance of a sex scene could add something to the movie. And blue is the warmest color is just like, yeah, but who wants to see a dude, right? Like, that's mm, new. I, I actually really like that movie, but I understand the criticism of it yeah. very deeply. Um, uh, my other main criticism of that movie was uh, every eating scene, and there were 40 of them, uh, was shot, like, right in the person's face. And they all chewed with their All mouth I remember open. is the spaghetti all over yeah. uh, Adele. Yep. Uh, uh, Adele's face. <laughs> yep, just like forking in the world's crunchiest bolognese. And then there was also a scene where they're eating some gyros. And again, just the messiest fucking. I mean, I'm sure it's a symbol or metaphor or symbol. Oh, 100%. Like... Yeah. It's like, you know, we're all messy with our needs. I don't know. <laughs> um, um, 
Food, yeah. food is sex. Sex is food. Sex is power. Food is friendship. I don't know. Time is money. Money is pizza. <laughs> <laughs> money is pizza. Pizza's I, it's expensive. I think that's a 30 Rock reference that I just made. Oh, right. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Um, I do know as Barrow. So we, we laughed at Pizzerina's Barrow's character. <laughs> Um, you know what's like, funny is when I first heard Benedetta, right? And I, they're like, Paul Verhoeven's lesbian nun movie, Benedetta. I was like, okay, so is that like a Benedictine vendetta? You know, is, is her name <laughs> wow. going to be like, you know, some like vendetta? Like, I just, it seemed like it was a joke title, you know? And it, it sounds wasn't. like a, a name. I mean, it's not. I think you're right. Like, it's not really a name that rolls off the tongue because it doesn't, we don't really associate that name with anything. It's not really a name you hear very often. Uh, But my husband really, we joke, my husband and I joke about this a lot, but like all of the children's names that he's ever liked in his life are not names to some extent. They're like Thomasina and Raffaella and like all this stuff, (laughs) Um, which is like absurd if you knew him because he's not religious at all. Um, But you know, we and we and his aunts and uncles uh, on both his family side, like he's got he's from a you know large Italian Catholic family. His mother has like eight or has eight siblings. His father has five siblings. Um, and so we all just kind of joke like that, that the collective aunts and uncles are named like Angeletta Debt. So when I heard Benedetta, I like my brain sort of <laughs> conflated them. I was like, how do they know? <laughs> like Benedetta, like that's, isn't that the name of all of your aunts and uncles combined? Um, <laughs> all of their Italian names. So like, it, it, but I think about it, I'm like, what is Benedetta? Like, what is the, Benedet is not like a, an English name, right? It's I, the, the only th- the closest thing I could get to is Bernadette. <laughs> Right, Bernadette. Oh, yeah, he has. I think he has an aunt, Bernadette. Maybe that's okay. why I was <laughs> conflating it. But there's like an Angeletta. I mean, there's an Angela. I don't know. He's probably going to make me cut this. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't just... be an episode if Robin didn't have to cut something. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we spent 20 minutes talking about people jacking off onto stuff or into stuff or with stuff. It's been in a lot of movies lately, man. Well, we watched Sansa the Lambs. You know, so that that involves mm-hmm. some cum throwing, and then <laughs> we the Green Knight Migs, <laughs> multiple. Oh Migs. yeah, the Green Knight was yeah. just like Green wet. Knight. He got a <laughs> he got fucking you know jismed on his uh his, his <laughs> cloak of invincibility or whatever. Um, yeah, so you know, there's uh, cum is having a year, you know. <laughs> Why don't you write that pink piece? Get that I will. Thing. I'll write. It, it's the year of come. Um, the seeds for a better tomorrow. I don't. Ugh. All right, dude. It's this is a movie about lesbians. Why are we talking about male reproductive fluids so much? <laughs> You're right. That was very patriarchal of us. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was being a bad ally. And if <laughs> anyone knows anything about me, it's that I am a fucking fantastic ally. I'm just sitting here nodding. Um, so I think, you know, aside from the sexuality, what what sort of, what? why can't I speak today? I, aside from the sexuality, what made me question this movie, at least for my own taste, is just how much it gets into the mysticism of her 
of her visions and are they real or are they not real? Is she, is she massing power? You know, it just kind of goes on and on and on when Mm -hmm. I thought this would be like a dishy period drama. And instead it, it really is a movie that excavates, you know, questions about how, how religion is disseminated for lack of a better word. Um, or like how religion is used as a as a source of governance, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What was your well? Take I always, away? Uh, you know, uh, having grown up in a country that one of our founding principles is that like we're not going to do a state religion. Um, wink, wink. Uh, is it? <laughs> Christmas is a federal holiday. Oh, yeah. But I mean, like, the problem is that if you didn't make it a federal holiday, you'd still have to deal with everyone not working. So, like, I get it. I'm not I'm not like going on about Christian hegemony. I'm just saying, like, it is sort of the default religion in the U.S. Well, yeah, unfortunately, you know, I don't think that it needs to be. But also, like, I, you know, people say that, but then like, uh like Easter you don't get time off for Easter you know like and that's technically the more important holiday because fucking everyone gets born but you know who who does what doesn't happen to everyone (laughs) dying and coming back in three days um in fact it's funny I remember like when I was a kid there was a priest who was like it's Easter the most important Catholic holiday and if you didn't realize that I don't blame you because no one acts like it and I was like, no, what are you talking about? It's Christmas when we like get off from school. And it's like, no, the fact that it's like really fucking cold for most of the country. And, you know, you've been dealing with uh, work and stuff nonstop because summer's been over for six months. Like, it really feels like it was an aspect of convenience to just be like, what if we gave them off Christmas? <laughs> like, so that they don't riot. But anyway. Um, I mean... Easter ends on a Sunday. Yeah, but I mean, like, said. this year, technically Christmas <laughs> is on, like, a Saturday, I think. And, uh, you know, but we're still going to get off, like, the 24th. True. Which, you know, I don't know. The federal government often lets people off on Christmas Eve anyway, which is always funny because as a contractor, I get the email that says, like, hi, federal employees, have a great day off tomorrow. And then I get the follow-up email from my actual manager that says we have to work tomorrow because we are not technically federal employees. And then we get to say, what are we going to do? All the feds are off. And they just, they don't have a response for that. So like, we just, we just hang out for eight hours and feel bad. Anyway, you work from home though, right? Uh, yeah, I work from home. It's great. Um, you know, but like two years ago, that was not the case anyway. So what I was going to say is, Um, it's interesting to take a look back and see basically like when the church was a political party, um, when like literally the, the, you know, what you'd call like the Catholic vote was like, because there was a whole other Senate in your country that had that kind of power because everyone believed. And if they didn't believe they, you know, shut the fuck up about it. Um, it's it's interesting to look back and see that, you know, to see that, like, the church used to be able to, like, basically hand down a death sentence to someone. And um, I, I find it to be a, an interesting peek into that kind of world and ultimately why that doesn't work. Because the entire point of the church is that you're not supposed to want to, you know, hold on to earthly things 
And unfortunately, like if you have political power, you're going to want to hold on to that. And it's like, why are we wasting time trying to build a kingdom on earth when what we're supposed to be doing is preparing ourselves for the kingdom of heaven? And in fact, there's a point when Benedict is first brought to the convent and she's like annoyed at her shirt. She's like, it's so itchy. And the person's like, good. Your body's your enemy. Like, you know, I lost a finger and I wish that my whole body could be wood. Um, because that is like <laughs> a, a concept that is less stressed now, but it's like your body is a trap that your soul has to escape. And the, you know, tricks of the devil are like to, to basically, you know, build up a font of earthly delights that will corrupt you before you have a chance to get to heaven. You know, basically you'll, you'll, rev- you'll, you'll deny your eternal glory in the kingdom of God because, you know, for the, at the time, like 40 years you had on earth, um, <laughs> you were more, that was an average. Yeah. You know, you were more like profoundly into the concept of like, you know, maintaining your life on earth, which is not, it's, you know, transient. So I found that to be interesting. I, I always find explorations of faith interesting i i was listening to a uh another podcast uh blank check which they did an episode on benedetta because they had done a whole series on paul verhoven mm-hmm. and one of one of the the uh, the guest whose name i cannot remember and i apologize said like it's interesting that there's so much great catholic art but like christian art kind of is just uniformly terrible um and what she meant is that like pure flicks is garbage and a lot of those like faith-based movies that evangelicals will bust themselves out to see are pretty much useless but then at the same time you get things like benedetta which good or bad is still like an interesting challenging movie that is that that you can read into a lot or you know silence you know i would argue like the tree of life like these are movies that have a kind of sensation of having been informed by the level of of uh, introspection that I think Catholicism looks at a lot. Is the Tree of Life particularly Catholic? I find it to be pretty damn Catholic. I and I. I mean, I, was that the intent, or was that just? I'm the I'm not impact? sure. I'm not sure actually. I, I but like when I look at it, it 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 feels Catholic. And I mean, the, his next really religiously based movie, and in fact, what I think might be one of. Along with like, it's it's kind of funny to say that like we're in a golden age of faith based movies um, because again a lot of them are really fucking terrible. But like between Silence and uh, A Hidden Life, I feel like this is the perfect time to be a person of faith to and go out and see movies like the, the like to to have those two films that are so interested in the concept of what it means to have and express faith and to try to like live up to an ideal is, um, is like honestly a gift. And I, and I love that stuff. And I, I don't, I don't understand people who don't want a movie that challenges their faith because I feel like that's the only way to really, to really do it. Like, I don't, I hate, I hate being, I, I hate being preached to as though I were in the choir um, I think perhaps one of the reasons that like Adam McKay movies are such a uh, shit is because of that. <laughs> he doesn't seem to are have they any... all shit? I mean, you know, the the other guys is pretty good, but like, you know, Vice was terrible. <laughs> Vice is pretty bad. Vice is truly terrible. 
Yeah. Um, um, and, uh, you know, okay. even even yeah. what's funny is the end of the other guys kind of was like a warning that he was giving us about how bad he was going to get. Because the other guys is like a goofy, insane movie. And then it ends with a literal PowerPoint presentation about like Ponzi schemes and like the the deregulation of banking. And you're like, okay, well, that's a little interesting that he added that in the end. I guess he really wanted to get that information out there. And then the big short, you know, he's he's is like, all didactic. Yeah. yeah, which he can get away with because, you know, there's kind of a ticking clock sort of thing. And it's it is interesting to see. I think he chose the right people to follow. Like he found people who gamed the system. And so you're like rooting for them to succeed at the expense of literally everyone else in the entire country. Um, but then vice is fucking awful and seems to hate even the people who went out and saw it. And <laughs> I've heard nothing very punishing. Yeah. I've heard nothing but bad things about don't look up. So, but you know, it's that, it's that I, I, I like to think that, you know, if you're truly a person of faith, it's almost as like, it's almost the same as being a good scientist. You know, the questions are never settled. You're not using it as an excuse to be lazy using it as a framework to keep interrogating and um you know things like benedetta things like silence things like a hidden life are things that i think bring that out and it it always annoys me when you know i will talk to other christians and they'll like kind of not want to see those movies because what they want is something that's gonna you know reaffirm in a in a very broad and open and specific way uplifting Right. And I'm like, but you don't understand. You can walk into these movies and be affirmed, but you just have to go through the tribulation. Like, you know, not to draw too fine a point on it, but like you don't get to come down from the cross until you've been put on it. (laughs) You know, there is you got to carry that thing and get scourged. You know, you got to do that. And they're but they don't want that. They want. Well, isn't the thing that is going to affirm your belief? Isn't that thing going to be a challenge? Like, isn't the whole idea to be, to have a trial? Yes. But I think that the difference between, like, silence and, like, you know, God's not dead is that the, the framing of God's not dead is that the whole time, like, everyone in the movie is telling this kid that he's wrong, but we know that he's right. You know, it's sort of like the Mighty Ducks. Like, you never assume the Mighty Ducks are going to lose. Um... But in silence, you know, you you end the movie with this guy being, you know, cremated because he's fucking dead. <laughs> and, you know, you, you the 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 ending narration says, like, you know, uh, was he like lost to God? Only God can know. And it's like, well, that's kind of a bummer. And it's like, well, no, that's embracing the mystery that is like, is there anything beyond this world and what does God really want from us? Isn't like, that the thing going to test your faith? Yeah, that's that's Isn't what I that want. Yeah. thing. <laughs> I uh, you know, if you if you confine yourself only to a group of people who believe the exact same thing as you, then you don't have, you know, faith. You have dogma. <laughs> you have nothing else. You know, that's whatever else about them. You know, the there is the concept of Rumspringa. Where the Amish send their kids out into the world and they're like, all right, have fun and then come back. And then they do <laughs> because they've gone, they've just sampled everything else. I mean, I know most of the people that I know who are Catholics now who are my age 
pretty much did the same thing I did where they were like, yeah, I was lapsed Catholic for like 10 years and then like came back to it. You know, you, you go out, you try out everything else, you try to see what else fits and you know, maybe something does, maybe you come back a different person than when you left, but usually you're like, no, this makes sense to me. I feel like most people I know have a rumspringa, not even about religiousness, but you just, you live your life. For many of us go to college. We live out in the world in our early twenties. We, mm-hmm. you know, many of us live in an urban environment. We have all these adventures. And then I've seen so many of my friends go back to where they come from. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean physically or geographically, but they go, they live the life that their parents lived and set out for them you know they go and they get married and they move to the suburbs and they have children and um and i don't think i mean it's not i don't even i'm not even specifically thinking of just the religion thing but you know it's just like you like you can go home again you you just replicate the home from which you come i just find that i find that very interesting that so many so many people i know have sort of just done that for themselves um like they had the taste of of freedom <laughs> of <laughs> urban life i mean whatever freedom means like being poor in your 20s but living with your friends and yeah uh abusing your body and yep. not sleeping and not drinking water and and i just i find it very interesting that we all that many many people just replicate the lives that they that they were born into well because i think at some point you realize like oh right those people may have had it figured out and like, maybe this life isn't sustainable and maybe what I thought I wanted to do isn't as, as, as good. Like I, in fact, right. when we were, when, when over the week uh, in our Slack channel, which you can join by uh, going to patreon.com slash film state show um, and giving us $1 an episode, we were talking about the West side story episode that we recorded and someone posted the New Yorker review um, from Richard Brody Mm-hmm. And he brought up the fact that, like, in that movie, Tony is reformed not because he has, like, aged and matured and just sees something else and wants it, um, but that he was sent to prison and had time to, like, you know, genuflect and introvert himself to interrogate his soul. And I said that that was something that I don't think we've gotten a chance to talk about on the podcast, but that is something that I kind of took issue with in the movie when watching it because it was like almost the opposite of the original uh, moral of like the original Clockwork Orange, which if anyone knows anything about the publication history of Clockwork Orange, it was like 21 chapters. I think it was like seven chapters in each part. And like the final chapter was Alex's like, you know, had a blood transfusion. The Ludovico treatment is no longer affecting him. And he's like super fucking happy about it because now he can be violent and crazy again. And then the last chapter is him being like bored and not liking his new friends. And he runs into one of his old friends who's now like a square who's gotten married. And Alex walks away from their whole uh, interaction feeling embarrassed because he's still looking like a droog and jealous because he kind of wants to settle down too because he like sees the, the profit in it. And I think it's more interesting for someone to grow and mature on their own 
than to, you know, become the clockwork orange that like, you know, the government wants them to be. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, I see that happening with a lot of people in my life. Like some of the craziest motherfuckers that I know, you know, now you see them on Facebook and they're like, so excited to welcome, you know, our second child into the world. Like, you know, mm-hmm. muffins on Monday, like usual. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, there's something fucking great about that. <laughs> like, there's I this really, girl. I really like that. There's this girl. Uh, speaking of jizz, which I guess is the common motif of this episode. Well, everyone comes I, from jizz, <laughs> Robin. So I think that we um, need to... half from jizz, half from Ova. So well, yes, <laughs> like I wasn't just like you Not know solely a little from jizz. homunculus in my father's like balls or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> just waiting to like shoot out. Um, so there was this girl that I went to high school with who many, many years ago, a friend was telling me that like, she used to joke around saying that when she was, when she was hungry, she would like, you know, have uh, oral sex with her boyfriend because that would, you know, be like a little protein snack for her. And I saw on, and then that's, that's like my only real knowledge of this person. Okay. It was just like this, rumor about her being like "Mm, snack and she posted this weekend like that she just gave birth to her fifth child and you know god has blessed them and all this kind of stuff and i think it's just like exactly what you're describing (laughs) it's this uh you know this return to form like we have to live our lives and return to form Um, what's funny is i i think that like there was a there there is a way for people to look at that and like feel upset about it like oh these people who we thought we were going to be like the new free generation have just gone and like mm-hmm. fallen into the traps of their parents but it's like it's not a trap if you enter into it willingly and can leave it willingly like it's <laughs> the difference between a home and a prison is that you have the keys to your home and are free to come and go as you please you know so if you do that it's it's not it's not a problem. And I, I, I find it interesting when like people that are my age or older are still like vehemently against it as though it is some kind of like evil plot. Um, yeah. I I mean, even in my own mind, bad for them. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is like, I I was reading this um, survey this weekend in my blogging community and people were writing about the survey was, does your family look how you imagined it would look 10 years ago? It's like, you know, 10 years in the past, did you think that what you're living now is how you would be living your life? And, Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people were writing like, you know, I thought I would be married and I would have kids and here's how it actually turned out. And, you know, honestly, 10 years ago, I probably thought I would be on my second kid right now. And, (laughs) uh, cause I'd always wanted a larger family and now, me who was like, and I don't know if you know anything about sex in the city, but I'm very much like the Charlotte of my friend group. I'm always just, you know, like reinforcing patriarchy and reinforcing heteronormativity. And, and you're whatever. the only one who's actually attractive. <laughs> <laughs> that is also true. No, I'm kidding. But like, I was always the one that's like, but family, you have to get married. You have to have a baby, like blah, 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 blah. And now I'm kind of completely living the opposite of that, which is like, well, I just really want to focus on my career right now. And I'm not ready to have a kid. And like, how could I fit a kid into my life when I feel like I can't even read my emails? Um, yeah. And it's just, it is totally different from, from what I had anticipated to the point where now I'm like uh, scrolling through Facebook and I'm like, breeder, 
breeder. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I am like not the person that I feel like I have always felt. And I think this is a pandemic thing. I think this is me just still having like very, like a, like a dysphoric sense of identity mm-hmm. uh, because I'm living sort of like a half-life that I would normally be living, or maybe right. my values have changed. Like, I don't know. I'm in this emotional slurry right now, but I think the, but I, I like that these existential questions are, are, I like that this movie is bringing out these ex- existential questions because I think the idea of like the prison versus the home is very much at the core of this movie. Very right. much well, at the core of Benedetta. You, it, what's interesting is when she first comes to the convent and the dad's like, yo, my daughter, she was really sick and we didn't think it was going to make it. And I promised her to God. And I was like, oh, that's like a really sweet thing. But then, but like, no, it well, sentenced her. <laughs> well, it's but it's kind of like a it it is it is kind of the the selfless love of a child where it's like it's the the fucking who's the guy who's like I'm gonna cut this baby in half, King Solomon. Solomon? <laughs> yeah, it's like you know I'm gonna cut this baby in half, and the one who wasn't the parents like cool, cool, good, good enough. Can I get the top half? And the person who actually was the parent was like, oh my god, no, like give it to a stranger. Just don't kill it. And there is something of that in, like, you know, dear God, if you let my child live, I swear to God, like, you know, I'll, I I offer her up to the convent and she will serve you forever because at least she will be alive. But then... Or I the, sacrifice my daughter to you and she can't have any family of her own and can't live a life of luxury. Well, so... That's the thing we kind of then find out is that he's she's like, let's talk about the dowry. And he's like, yeah, I was thinking like 20. And she's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like She being the abbess. Right. Played yes. by Charlotte Ramsey. Oh, your 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 audio has gone wonky. Did you pull a plug Ooh. or something? Um, yes. Sorry. <laughs> Charlotte Rampling. Yeah, there we go. Yep. Um, yeah, she's like, don't. Like first of all, she accuses him of haggling like a Jew, which is problematic. Um, <laughs> and but yeah, she says like out in the world, like you know, a daughter in a decent marriage is a hundred and fifty whatever the hell gold bits. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> yeah. You, yeah, she's like you. You wouldn't offer it like at least a hundred, you know, to marry her to Jesus. And the dad's like, oh, fine. Which apparently that was the thing is like I can't afford for my daughter to get married to a good man. I'm never going to be able to afford the dowry. So if I just send her to a convent, then I get to save that money. Which is nuts. Discount. <laughs> yeah, it, it is literally a way to discount, like, you know, marry your daughter off in a respectable way. Uh, which is kind of uh, fucking weird um, to think about that. Because the concept of a dowry is not really known nowadays. I always thought the idea of the dowry was confusing to me. I'm sure it makes some economical sense uh you know, looking at like past economic structures, but I always thought it made more sense if somebody paid you for their, for your daughter. Like paid you for their daughter. Like, no, no, like it doesn't make more sense for, for you, the husband to pay for your wife instead of being paid to marry her. I mean, again, I'm no economic historian. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure how that happened. I mean, well, first of all, we all know that like marriage used to be a like I would assume for for like the upper class at least you know the people that we know about a supremely intense economic arrangement and um, legal but yeah 
Yeah, so like the concept would be like, you know, we... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why you would be like, all right, you're going to marry my daughter. I'm going to give you this stuff. It really does feel like nowadays, at least, a, a kid would have to come up and be like, 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 and that's actually, that's like, when you think about like modern proposals, even just saying like, you know, in the last hundred years, you know, you think of a dad sitting down with the the nervous guy who's like, sir, I'd really love to marry your daughter. And the dad being like, what are your prospects? Like, you know, you're right. going to be a fucking mechanic for the rest of your life. Like, what kind of life are you going to give my daughter? Whereas it used to be like, please, dear God, I'll give you 16 fucking goats if you take this bitch off my hands. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure never, yeah. there'd be a ton of historians that could be like, well, actually, this is why. But, you know, I'm right. I'm, I'm like, is it something about bloodlines and what counts as what? Like, you know, is it? alliances were there just like too many women and so you really needed to sweeten the pot to get this right like what is the cultural materialism of <laughs> of women's women being commodified I'm right because really you'd about think that. about it, like if you like uh, a woman uh, like just at its base level like the only thing a woman needs to bring to a marriage in the olden days feels like it should be a functioning reproductive system The only thing to to a person in like the 1400s who needs children to, you know, work the fields and or like give to the church. Like, yeah. Yeah. Rhea, uh, Leah versus Rachel. Like, I get it. What? Oh, oh, OK. I, I heard Leah and I was like, princess. No, no. Well, like Leia, like biblical Leia. Yes, yes. No, it, it made one. sense to me now. Yes. <laughs> Like she was the ultimately more valuable wife because she was, she could give what's his face more kids, right? Right. But so, like, why would you have to be like, here's fourteen acres and four thousand dollars when what you right. really all you need to say is, hey, guess who's gonna give you children, motherfucker? Take this. There are some home. anthropologists that are listening that will be listening and are just like, okay, shut up, you know nothings, you amateurs. Like we well, don't look, really you know, know, I'm giving you the uh the the view from here on the ground. So if you are an anthropologist <laughs> or a you know historical economist and you have any knowledge of this, uh email us podcastthefilmstage.com. Give us an answer. We'll read it on the next episode. Yes. Or become a patron at patreon.com slash filmstage show and for this little on dollar episode you can scream at us in the Slack channel. With gifts. Scrimmage in the Slack channel. <laughs> but so so I think this goes back to the question of is Benedetta trapped in this convent or is she using it to her best right. ability? Is she, like is she doing is a Rorschach like you're all trapped in here warden? with me? <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. And I think that again, it, that's that's an interesting concept that the movie can plumb but doesn't really. And um it, but I think what what you can read into that last scene is that you may think she is, but she wants to be there. Like, it is the place that makes sense. And to me, what that says is that, again, at least in that 50%, she believes what she's been saying. Now, why she then has to physically harm herself with the stigmata is a whole other question. Or, like, is she doing it? like with full knowledge of what she's doing, you know, or is it like a syndrome where she knows what is needed of her and like, you know, in a, in a fit of ecstatic peak, does it to herself because she feels like she has to. Well, it's like that old joke, you know, of somebody who's like 
trapped on a floating piece of wood or whatever. And they're like, and this angel comes down. It's like, you know, do you want to be, or like not an angel, but be um, like a boat captain comes like, do you want to be rescued? And the person's like, no, God will save me. And then like the next person comes along. It's like, do you want me to save you? And the guy's like, no, yeah. God will, will rescue me. And then finally the angel is like, you fucking idiot. Like you died. We sent you those boats. So I feel like, yeah, it's the uh, it's yeah the the two boats and a helicopter thing. So like she's using those tools to save herself. Like you could argue that those tools were given to her by God to rescue herself from being burned at the stake or being flat flogged or whatever uh, or cast out. I mean, she was using the things that she came across mm-hmm. and her wit to enact the truth that she maybe thought she was living if she was actually a true believer in herself, which we're not really clear on. We are not. But I mean, I, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, and and once again, that is something that makes the movie interesting. And, you know, I think it's, it is aesthetically an interesting movie. I think that the performance of the primary character, Benedetta uh, by Virginie, Virginie, why am I having trouble with a five letter name? Afira um, is pretty good. And I, I like like Lambert Wilson coming in and doing his thing. Charlotte Rampling is always nice to see in a in a movie. The woman who played, uh, I want to say Christina, um, also known as like the one nun who knows what's up. <laughs> um, I liked her. The daughter of the abbess or like the, yeah. I don't even know if it was, she was the daughter, but she was some kind of protege. Yeah, Sister Christine, uh, yeah, who is Louise Chevaliot. Chevaliot, I don't know. I think the um, the nun who was the Jew who dies of breast cancer yes. was very interesting. That that was a very good performance. Oh, yeah, you said um, there I, were only two breast scenes. That woman had a breast No, you were scene. right. You're right. There was, I mean, I, I acknowledge that that was like a motif. I just, I think those two breast scenes were what stood out to me. Uh, as being sort of memorable, but yes, I mean, there is like breasts are a, are definitely a common image in this movie or a common theme. I mean, we could parse through that. We could say that, you know, that represents femininity or um, motherhood. And does Benedetta become the literal mother of this or this figurative mother of this, of this Abbey and the Virgin mother and, you know, what it like breasts are feeding, but breasts can be destructive. Breasts can be temptation that is also destructive uh, versus illness that is destructive. So like, there's a lot of ways to, to read breasts in this movie. Um, I don't know if you'd even call that an orb report because it's <laughs> actually a theme of this movie. I, Son I of a suppose. Bitch. Um, um i mean we like we've gotten so deeply into the philosophical weeds that we haven't really talked about the construction of this movie really and i i mean that's kind of the other thing is like you know in in reading it up like it seems like her her reign as like the abbess was a lot longer and like it just feels like this movie compresses a lot of stuff and um i think that you know but like how how good would it be if i i don't even know if i've said i think this is a fine movie i found a lot to enjoy in it i think there's some issues and i wish that certain things were if not clarified then just more 
leaned on. But I, I think this is a worthwhile movie to see. Um, and I, I like, I again, like just, just the amount that we've talked about, not even the movie, but things the movie evokes or kind of makes us ask, I think yeah. makes the movie valuable. Because like Power of the Dog, I was just like, oh, who gives a flying fuck? Like, <laughs> that is still my favorite movie of the year. And like, Benedetta, you know, to me, is fine. Like, I, I, I just like as a movie or as in terms of my enjoyment, you know, obviously it made me think about a lot of different things. But ultimately, I was like, either I'm here for the show nuns or nothing. Because, <laughs> like, I like I said, even Black Narcissus, you know, had those horror elements that made it work very well and or yeah. the, the acting worked very well. So for this, I was just kind of like, but when are we going to stop thinking about all the religious crap so we can get back to all the dishy stuff that happens in the convent? Right. But for me, like the religious stuff is what makes it interesting. Cause I, I find, I guess the, th- the thing that annoys, like, what am I trying to say? The, the only time I'm ever turned off of a, a film that is like, you know, I would say like, not even anti-Christian, but just like treats Christianity with irreverence is when it doesn't even seem to think that the people involved in it actually care about it. Like, I I like the fact that all the people in this movie, even if they are corrupt and even if they are, you know, trying to just make money or hold on to power, they still have like a belief in or faith in God. I think that that makes it more interesting. I think that just using, you know, Christianity as a, of kind of backdrop to do something else is incredibly lazy because you're trying to trade on the shorthand of the iconography to create something that might be controversial. But what you're all you're doing is just being like, Oh, these, you know, two people are having sex in front of a crucifix. Ooh, like, well, that's how I kind of felt about this movie in a way like, Oh wow. You made a dildo out of the Virgin Mary. Right. And that's kind of like why in that instance, I'm like, eh, that's not as interesting. But like, what is interesting to me is, is her getting, you know, fucking again, Bartolomea, who is for the first part of the movie, the aggressor in the relationship, um, you know, goosing her. And then her having like this ecstatic vision of Jesus coming in to fucking slaughter some serpents. Like that shit rules. Like, that's awesome. I love that. Um, that's the kind of stuff that I, that I enjoy. And I find that interesting. And then meanwhile, you know, in, in something like power of the dog, I'm just like, I know I get that he fucking hates this woman. And I get that he wants to keep eating up his brother and he's a repressed, like homosexual who was groomed at a young age and possibly abused. But like, you know, I've picked that up 15 minutes in, like, are we going to do anything else? Like, is there anything else <laughs> happening? So even though this, I movie, thought it was so interesting, uh, so beautiful. Who gives a fuck? Um, <laughs> rude rude not about your opinion just about that movie in no i know i know <laughs> um but like so this movie even though i didn't like some of the other stuff it did i liked the fact that it was at least doing other stuff and that it wasn't just like i was expecting this to basically be like wall-to-wall lesbian nun sex and just them like finding different ways to kind of like profane or be sacrilegious yes that's what i was anticipating Right, which I would have been, I don't know if I want to say the word fine with, but I would have, you know, accepted and been bored with. It would have been a vibe. Yeah. You know, like, I I feel like Nicholas Winding Refn could do something with that. (laughs) 
Oh, That's a man who please. can hit a single note and hold it for a movie. And I'll be like, all right, I guess so. Maybe but for I, one movie. Yeah. And so I, but I appreciate that this one actually seemed to not want to just utilize Christianity for nothing. It's the same reason that I really loved Midnight Mass, which came out this year. Like it's, it, it is something that fully understands that like, if you were to remove the, the context of 2000 years of practice, from Catholicism, everything about it would seem super occult and really fucking weird. And I like that it utilizes that as a means of telling a horror story, but at the same time takes very seriously like the religious faith of these people. Even if like, I don't think that the show particularly comes down on one side of this as to whether or not there is a God, but I like the fact that it says like God or not, these people are guided by a faith in it. And, you know, that is to be understood and respected to truly understand them as characters. And I think that this movie flirts with that. But again, in trying to be interestingly ambivalent about Benedetta's, you know, either madness or deception or earnestness kind of misses its opportunity to say something a little more forceful about it. So anyway, fucking teddy bears, really? <laughs> yeah. That's so weird. I can't believe that. Um, if you ever had sex with a teddy bear, again, email us podcast.filmstage.com. <laughs> I will also be putting that question out into our Slack channel. So again, patreon.com slash the film stage show, $1 an episode, and you can join our Slack conversation. It is actually a very wholesome Slack channel. Generally. Like, <laughs> you'd think that a bunch of dudes together who are generally anonymous would be all, you know, getting into things, but it's usually just very like, I like this director. Also, no, you a, don't. There's a guy who is the fucking, uh, Tolstoy of dad jokes and ter- terrible mm-hmm. puns. So you got to get in there for that. I do want to say, um, I went looking for the the trailer for Benedetta, of course, uh, because I play it during this episode. And in finding it, I found a YouTube video from a uh, account called Sapphic Closet. And it is a compilation of scenes between Benedetta and Bartolomea set to a song that I had never heard of before. It's Kid Bloom Like I Never Left. Um, and it is a very angsty love ballad kind of thing. And it's it's almost as though I'm sure that someone has seen like a homemade music video about like Jack and Rose from Titanic. But it's about a Benedetta. A shipper and, video. Yeah, yeah. But it's about Benedetta and Bartolomea. And like... If, I don't know if it's going to play quite as funny to you if you haven't seen the movie. Um, but I watched it and I found it to be uh, hilarious. I um, And the, what's even crazier is that it has over 2 million views. And it was, Are you fucking insane? And it like, was, what? It was posted less than a month ago. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was a little shocked. In fact, I think... I think it had more views even than the Benedetta trailer that I found. So let me actually let me let me pull up the Benedetta trailer again. 
the trailer for Benedetta has 1.6 million views. And the shipper music video from Sapphic Closet has 2.2 million views. Um, and, I, you know, I I don't know why I felt like I needed to bring that up, but I, I kind of did. I kind of had to. I want to actually, I want to, I'm going to play a little bit of it because I want to see if people can hear this song. Oh my God. If I was a fool, oh you, This is the scene where they're taking a shot. This is when she's like, look at your reflection in my eyes. Anyway, so that's... This makes me wonder if people saw the same movie that I did, because I did not see a functioning, healthy adult relationship between these two women. I saw a very manipulative, uh, coercive, and ultimately traitorous relationship well to be fair who who do you think was betraying whom because i you know one of them well at first undergoing uh, the pair of anguish well i think one well yeah one was being uh tortured yeah so she gave up her lover um but then later when later benedetta theoretically betrays bartolomea by having a fake vision while she's being burnt to death mm-hmm. and almost like tricks her partner into saving her. Yeah. Um, so it is. And then she's just like, peace. So, so no, I, I don't want to pick on the people who made this uh, fan edit thing. It, 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 it did strike me though as weird. Cause I was looking at it. I was like, that song <laughs> over these things does give the impression that this is like, I don't like that. that like an the, epic love story. Right. That it's the type of thing that involves that. But like, yeah, if you watch the movie and, and you're not just like, well, it's about lesbians in a time of like even more intense patriarchy. Like we have to respect that. Like, you know, clapping emojis like support lesbian romance. Um, it's very odd that this would be the one they chose. But like this one person wrote amazes me the amount of passion put on this film, the chemistry between. Virginie and Daphne is ugh marvelous and that is showcased beautifully in this edit so maybe this is a representation that works for people I you know and that's that's fine (laughs) I guess like I didn't feel the passion between them but I'm also you know like I said married to a man this other person wrote Mad to think that us lesbians used to get burnt for being accused of being witch, a witch just because we loved other women. And also mad to think there are loads of religious people who have these old nasty messed up views. But like, I don't know that. I think one of the things that, that the was movie, just the icing on the cake right, for her. She I was, was doing other stuff. I was stuff. about to say, like, I think that the movie does make it seem like they and I don't know. If, again, I don't know if it's the fault of these people looking at this movie and only seeing it a lesbian story and not as like a story of, you know, religious hypocrisy and violence. Um, but it does seem like they're like, well, we can't prove that her stigmata was a fake, even though we know it is. But what we do know is that she was having sex with a woman. So like when he's like 
let's burn her down. I don't think he cares as much about the the homosexuality as he does, you know, her her lies about, you right. know, her 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 religious experiences. And I think that but and I don't know if that's a fault of the movie or the marketing or the expectations of the people walking in or what. Well, I think the way the movie was written about like all the hypey the hypey reviews. Yeah. You know, it was like the movie you can't miss. Yeah, right. So this is interesting. This other person wrote, I don't know if I like this movie or not. There are parts that are very controversial if you watch it. So it's no wonder why this film has received a lot of criticism. So I'm just enjoying Benedetta and Bartolomeo's company, not the whole story, which is, I guess, mm. another thing. But and and this is honestly, it started off with me just being like, oh, my God, someone put this like very, very maudlin romancy song over these. I don't know if they understood the movie or not. So now I'm wondering if it's just like a question of this is one of the few things that we've got. And so we're going to make the best that we can out of it. Right. And that's why I'm, I'm thinking, too, like, well, maybe this is um, positive representation and. But, I mean, that's that to me, it's kind of the, the whole thing about like, oh, like, you know, call me by your name is like a love story for our time. But it's like, I don't know, that's a little kind of predatory. <laughs> like it's it it really left me with a bad taste in my mouth. And I understand that, like, you know, in terms of representation, you know, positive same sex relationships are fairly new to cinema in an open way. But like maybe we could find some better ones. Like it just it it feels like it's it's um. This person says the CGI sucked. Um, <laughs> Stop reading the YouTube comments. I can't man. help it. I know you're not supposed to read the comments, but this is fucking fascinating to me. But anyway, yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting thing, and I, I think that like that insight, honestly, in this video, which I will post to the Slack and possibly on Twitter, um, just so that people can see it, what we're talking about. It's 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 super it's super interesting to like see that and see that reaction to it. And say, like, okay, yeah, like, is that, like, a thing that we're getting from this? Like, is are, do we overlook things like that? Like, you know, us saying that it seems like a coercive, not great, super Anybody will ship anything. Like, if you spent long enough in the Harry Potter community, you would know anybody will ship anything. I never read any of the Harry Potter books, but I believe you. Um that is literally psychotic. That I never read any of the Harry Potter books? Yes. I I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I, have, I have no answers for you. Um, this is like a whole episode unto itself. Um, but we should wrap things up. <laughs> well, when we review the next Fantastic Beasts movie, we can... No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, yeah, I watched the first three Harry Potter movies and then didn't come back until the last one. Not okay, the, last the Harry Potter movies suck. The last single movie. Well, I mean... They're yeah, incomprehensible. I, and I started reading the book. So, you know, just this is going to just prove what a pretentious piece of shit I am. Um, Harry Potter came out while I was in the middle of reading War and Peace. Um <laughs> And All after right, I, you're canceled. <laughs> I'm just canceling you. And you're after done. I finished reading War Peace, all of my friends are like, "Oh, good, you can finally read this Harry Potter book that we've all been going crazy over like the last month." Are you fucking month. eleven years old? Fuck you. I think I was like, I don't know, it was like twelve or thirteen, maybe. 
Oh my God. You're and, insufferable. Um, and then, um, and then after I finished reading it, I was like, all right, I could finally read this Harry Potter book that everyone. After you finished reading, you're like, what the fuck did I just read? Ugh. You mean Harry Potter? <laughs> no, War and Peace. No, I loved War and Peace. Ugh. You want to talk about shipping? That movie, I got it for the war, but what I fell in love with it for was the peace. And that may sound Ew. like a joke, but like, honestly, I got it because I was like, yeah, it's like the cover of it was a battle scene and i was like yeah this is gonna be like a rip-roaring adventure and it wasn't not really but like you suddenly fall in love with these characters and i'm like oh no will natasha really run away with this rake who's trying to steal her virtue i think you need to read some more romance novels i recently started rereading anna karenina for the fifth time um oh my I've, god i'm rereading it in a new translation that i have not how read could she do that to karenin First He's of all, the only worthwhile man. First of all, Lenin is the only worthwhile man in that. Oh, or not Lenin, Levin. Levin is a great man. Karenin is, is boring as fuck, true, but he isn't a good guy. And I never understood the appeal of Vronsky. Vronsky's a fucking piece of shit. Um, I mean, Vronsky is a piece of shit, but like, it's kind of hot. I mean, that's what we're led to believe, yeah. And he can dance. He's fucking erotically Levin. obsessed with his Levin, horse. who is just like drier than the desert. <laughs> he loves the peasants, though. Oh, <laughs> he has gosh. a deep abiding love for the serfs. I I apologize to everybody in this episode who yeah, is listening. If anyone is still listening, they're in it. They don't care. They're, this We're is probably going to have for. to cut this whole thing. No, <laughs> this is it's you and it's me. And we've, we're only at an hour and 48 minutes. So even if someone comes back and did we even talk about the movie we talked about the movie quite a bit (laughs) and then we talked about masturbating with teddy bears and we talked about people growing up and becoming their parents but not in a sad way um yeah no i you know this is this is what happens when when the two most awesome people get together to talk about a movie that has a lot of meat on the bones but may not be in and of itself a very gripping story it's like, a good it's a good movie to end on for right. this season. Well, what's what's interesting for me is that like, you know, the power of the dog, uh, I I just remember watching it and being like, okay, it's over and I don't know what there is to say about this. And what I got to say was just like basically disagreeing with everyone else on the episode. Um so it worked out a little bit. But like, you know, I I don't like when I see a movie and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to talk about like with this. And I what I love about this movie is even if I'm not going to come away Saying like Bartolome and Benedetta are, you know, this year's Leo and Kate or Jack and Rose, I guess I should say. What I can say is that the movie opens up enough avenues of thought that it becomes an interesting exercise to watch and see what you get out of it. And again, like the actors are all game for it. And there's some interesting stuff to see. You get to watch a... uh, Annuncio gets stabbed to death by a peasant woman while he's suffering plague boils. I mean, there's 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 stuff in here. It's it's an interesting movie. It's it's not going to bore you, but it, you know, at the end of it, you may not know entirely what it's trying to say or if you even agree with it. Here, 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 here. So yes, that is it. Uh, that is our talk for Benedetta today. Uh, if you have thoughts on Benedetta and you would like to tell us about them, don't forget to email us, podcastfilmstage.com. Uh, that goes doubly if you are, again, an anthropologist or uh, have any concept of the economics of marriage uh, in the time of the Renaissance, I guess. Um, 
And of course, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, and all that other stuff. Uh, join our Slack channel, patreon.com slash Film Stage Show. Give us your money. Uh, what are we talking about next, Robin? Good question. Um, I don't know what the schedule is. <laughs> yeah, so that's a, 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 a very funny way to get into it. We're not 100% sure what our recording schedule is going to be like because... Uh, as you all may know, uh, Christmas is next weekend, and then the weekend immediately following that is the new year. And so we are going to attempt to hopefully get an episode or two in the can in the in-between weeks. But we may not be able to do that. Um, and if it is, we still don't know what it's going to be about because we are going to try to get a guest, but we don't know who's available. And so all that to say, you may not hear from us until next year. And um, that's just the way it is. That's the way it's going this year. I think uh, a couple of folks want to do a, a Matrix Resurrections bonus episode. Yes. So that um, may be so the next or last thing of the year. Yes. I think the first movie that we're going to cover in 2022 is Licorice Pizza. Um, but we mm. still have to nail down a date for that. And we'll talk about that offline. Yes. Um, it, the, the beginning of next year, as always, will be us catching up on all the stuff that we didn't get to talk about. Um, There's so I, much. Like, come on, come on is in there. Mm-hmm. The French Dispatch we still plan on talking about at some point. Tragedy um, of Macbeth. Yeah, I, we've Lost kind of written Daughter. off Nightmare Alley, right? I think so. We might just want to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Replace that. Nobody's interested in it, and it I, bombed at it the box office. It bombed at the box office, Ad di- as did uh, the fucking, that movie that I didn't like. West, West Side, Side Story. Story, yeah. Yep. But how Gucci's still going strong. It's I mean, already made how could back it not? its budget. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dune boy. and House of Gucci. What if they are the two best picture uh, contenders because they're the only two movies that actually made money in that list of films? I uh, don't even know what I'll do with that information. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I feel dune, like I'll, dune, dune. I mean definitely i'll go for dune over hasaguchi um but it is it is weird to think about that that could be what we're looking at i will say i looked at the uh, box office scores today scores uh halls let's just say scores and i was shocked to see that uh apparently ghostbusters afterlife was released at some point i know i was like that came out <laughs> It came, it went, and it made some money. Right. And it's still making, it technically, didn't it beat West Side Story? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's fucking bananas. Um, but it's it's true. It happened. And I was like, remember when that was like a big controversial movie that was going to happen, and then a worldwide plague happened, and it, they just released it, I guess, in September, and no one lo- thought about it? No, it came out a few weeks ago. Okay. Like November. All right, good. Yeah. Maybe it came out like, oh, did it come out like around Halloween? I guess that would make sense, right? Yeah, a few weeks, like closer to Thanksgiving. Ghostbusters Afterlife release date. <laughs> it came out on November 19th. They didn't even go for Halloween. Nothing makes sense. Anyway, that movie's apparently out. None of us saw it, right? No. Okay. Well, cool. Anyway, so uh, that's, again, a long way of saying we don't know what's happening, but just be aware and follow us on all those social media to figure it out. Um, someone may be talking about Matrix Resurrections. It's not going to be me. I don't think Robin's going to take part either. Yet. Yeah, we just have no interest, but uh, it is clear to us that other people are, and so we'll hand over 
the reins to them for a special bonus episode to talk about that movie that for some reason people are excited about. But anyway, that's it. Uh, so let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and whenever the next time we talk about anything in their ears is. Uh, so, uh, Robin Barr, where can people find your shit online? Yeah, uh, you can find me at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R on Twitter. Um, you can also find me on Letterboxd as well uh, with that same handle. Um, my, a bunch of my writing is on thehollywoodreporter.com, including my recent review of And Just Like That, which is the Sex and the City TV sequel. And I've also just recently reviewed Emily in Paris season two. So that should be coming out. Can um, you this confirm week. something? I was told by someone that it's supposed to be pronounced Amelie and Paris. Uh, it, technically, but like, who gives a fuck? I mean, that's not how people are saying it. Right. And fuck off. I remember like people were like, Emily in Paris, Emily in Paris. I'm like, what a stupid name for a show. Like, who is Emily? Why do I care that she's in Paris? But like someone said, if you pronounce it Paris, and I was like, oh, it's Emily in Paris. It still doesn't rhyme. It doesn't. It's closer and like sort of makes more sense than Emily in Paris. Like, what does that even mean? Like, it's just it's the laziest show title ever. But uh, apparently people enjoyed it. For some reason. I mean, I I don't know. (laughs) Unlike and just like that, which I don't think I've heard a single kind word about. I don't think it was terrible. Um, It's certainly different from Sex and the City, but it has a different tone for very specific reasons. So it didn't, it doesn't bother me. Well, Emily in Paris too is one of those shows where like either you're with the main character and you have that, you have the same mindset as her or you just loving, or you just love to see her get shit on. And I'm more in the latter uh, half where I'm just like, Oh yeah. Like more humiliation, more defeat. Yes. So it works for me. All right. I just so I just looked up Emily in Paris um, and the the poster, which says it's going to be back on December 22nd, I guess. Mm-hmm. She's back for Amour and she's coming in hot. hot. I'm never going to watch this movie. No, this you're TV not. Series. <laughs> I usually love a good shitty pun. That is too much for me. I just can't. Will not do it. And that's the level of intelligence that Emily Cooper has. Well, that sucks for her. She's going to live a hard life. (laughs) All right. As for me, uh, where can you find me? Of course, um, all of my social media stuff is at Brian J. Rowan. My personal site is BrianJRowan.com. And you can find all the things that I've written for the film stage over at thefilmstage.com, where you can also find every episode of this here podcast. So... Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you have enjoyed this episode and uh, tune in next time. You know what the Midwest is, young and restless, restless, might snatch your necklace, and next these might jack your Lexus, somebody tell these who Kanye West is.